So it was a particular day, and as was his custom on that particular Saturday, Jesus stepped into the synagogue. He'd been hanging out around Galilee, and people were spreading rumors of who this guy was. Things seemed to be kicking off. He had been baptized by John the Baptist, and people had heard this voice from heaven saying, Behold, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And so people were like, we should listen to this guy. And, and the Spirit of God had descended and rested upon him like a dove coming down from heaven. And so as he walked around Galilee, so called because meant like a circle, because this, this area was encircled by other communities, Gentiles, people who were not known to be the people of God. They were circling this area of Galilee. And as he walked around Galilee... He was proclaiming the kingdom of God. And on this Saturday, he turns up in the synagogue, takes his seat, and then he stands again and takes the scroll that an attendant passes to him. It's his turn to do the reading. And as he unrolled the scroll, he turned to a particular place in the book of Isaiah and began to read. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And when he finished reading that, he rolled up the scroll again, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And a silence fell in the synagogue, there in Nazareth. We're told that every eye was fastened on him. The fixed gazes, as he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I kind of imagine that a few moments passed as tension began to rise in the synagogue. And then the whispers began. That's, that's Joseph's son, right? Isn't that the boy who's been kicking around these streets for the last 30 years? And what's this he's saying? Is he serious? And tension began to rise so much that actually anger began to break out. Anger began to kind of bubble up in everybody who was within the hearing of Jesus that day in the synagogue. It wasn't normal. That didn't normally happen. That wasn't an average Saturday. And as the anger kind of bubbled up, there were more questions. And Jesus began to talk about how, how other people had come to know God. Not people of God, not Israelites, but people from other nations had come to know God. So now was he suggesting 
that maybe even the kingdom might break out beyond the realms of just the Israelites. And the anger brewed even more, bubbled up and bubbled over to the point of riot. And the people in the synagogue began to scream, almost read murder. And we're told that a crowd gathered around Jesus and they dragged him out of the synagogue. And they dragged him to a place where there was a cliff just near Nazareth. And they took him to a point where they were fully intent on throwing him off the cliff. Such was their anger. This wasn't just a falling out. This was murderous riot. And somehow, we don't know how, but Luke captures it. That in the midst of that trauma, Jesus just walks through the crowd and goes to another place. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt like that when someone's done a reading in church. Whether you've wanted to jump out of your seat and scream and say, come on then, let's get this person out. I'm fed up with what they're saying. That's not normal behavior. So what on earth was going on here? What on earth was rolling out? What was happening is essentially Jesus was declaring a manifesto. Why was it that it riled everyone so much? Why was it that it turned what was a a listening religious group of people who who wanted to be upstanding in society suddenly turned to this riotous crowd who want to now kill Jesus? Why? Let's look at it. Just the first few lines of that manifesto. This Jesus manifesto. You see, as Jesus spoke out those words, he took this scroll, this book of Isaiah. And he declares, the sovereign Lord has anointed me. Now, all the scholars of the day and everyone was trying to understand these scriptures, this, this prophetic scripture that Isaiah had given 500 years before this moment, before this moment where Jesus is standing in that synagogue on that Saturday. 500 years before, there's this prophet Isaiah who's writing down prophetic words about what is to come. And as he's writing and capturing and sensing what is God saying, he's writing all kinds of things about a promised saviour, a promised messiah, Somebody who would come to deliver and save God's people. Somebody who would come and and bring salvation to everyone. And oh, how they needed salvation. The Israelites were occupied. It was Roman territory. And they knew that they needed to to get set free from this. There was an agitation, a frustration amongst them. That's like, we're under this rule, but we know that there's a Messiah coming. They were interested that a Messiah would come because they wanted to be set free. They needed to be saved. They knew it. And so they're watching and they're reading Isaiah thinking, where is this person coming from? And if we rewind back into Isaiah chapter 11, it begins and says, and Isaiah captures this prophetic word that the Messiah, this Savior, would come from the stump of Jesse, from the root of Jesse. Now, if you've never come across Jesse, quite a cool name, isn't it? He's the dad of David, the person who managed to overcome Goliath. And David was given a promise by God that his throne would become an eternal throne. How is that possible? It's not possible in human terms because we all die. There'd have to be somebody who could sit on that throne for all eternity. Someone who was there from the beginning to the very end and on into the fullness of eternity. Only Jesus. 
And so here's Jesus, who's come from the root of Jesse, who happens to be in David's family. Funny coincidence that, isn't it? In fact, actually, Jesus was in his lifetime fulfilling all the prophetic words in the book of Isaiah written 500 years before about his life. Some of them totally out of his control, just where he would be born. Jesus wasn't in control of that. He was inside the womb. But then you could say he was in control. Why? Because of exactly what he says in this manifesto. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. That God is in control. He's sovereign. He's the one who holds all things. From beginning to very end, he's got the whole plan in his heart and mind. And so even in declaring sovereign Lord, that's what Jesus is pointing to. And what is Jesus saying as he's declaring this? He's saying today in your hearing, this is fulfilled. I am fulfilling this prophetic word that's caught in Isaiah 61. I've come from the root of Jesse. I'm the one that's been spoken about. And in Isaiah 11, it says that that root of Jesse, that person would be full of his spirit. And here he is saying, I'm the one who's being filled with the spirit. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Can you hear it, everybody? What's been promised and prophesied for hundreds of years, I'm the one, I'm the one. He's claiming to be the Messiah. He's claiming that he is the saviour of all people. That's why this anger starts bubbling up. The idea that the sovereign God would be Jesus from Nazareth. And yet Jesus was stepping in and declaring what he had planned from the very beginning. He is the sovereign God. He is the sovereign Lord. He wants to be the sovereign Lord of your life. He wants to be over your life because he knows that's the safest place for you to be in the center of his will. He has a will for you. Do you know, I don't know if you're allowed to have favorite characteristics of God. <laughs> maybe you're not because maybe you'll lean into one characteristic more than another. But my favorite characteristic, if, even if you're not allowed it, is his sovereignty. I love that God is sovereign. I really love it because it tells me that God is in control, that he knows the beginning from the end. It tells me that he has a plan for my life. It shows me that even in the moments that I can't make sense of, and you will all have those moments too, I can trust him because he tells me that he's the sovereign Lord. Even in the times of my life when I've not been able to navigate what the reason was and why that happened and the moments of my own regret, the moments of my sadness and my grief, I look to him and say, God, I can't work it all out right now. But I can trust you because you see the whole picture. You are the sovereign Lord. And though I don't understand all things, I trust that you do. So here's Jesus saying, that he's filled with the spirit of the sovereign Lord, that he is the Messiah. That's why anger is bubbling and this crowd are kind of going against Jesus. And that's not the only reason because then he goes on to say that, that the sovereign spirit, the Lord has anointed him, has given him special favor, has empowered him to do what? To go out and proclaim good news for the poor. So now Jesus is saying, I've got a message and I want to bring that message. And that is a good news message. 
Jesus begins to declare this good new message. He goes out into all the country and he starts preaching around Galilee first and, and then starts moving around all of Israel. And of course, we're sitting here tonight because of his message of good news. He's declaring that he very much is the Savior. He's not just a Savior for the people that were sitting in that synagogue on that day. He's not just their Messiah. He is your Messiah. He's your Savior. He's the one that can bring you hope. He's the one who has a plan for your life, who says to you, repent and believe, because the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near, literally close at hand. It means I can literally reach out and grab hold. Tony here, right here. We're at hand. I'm close at hand. That's how close the kingdom of heaven is. And his declaration to you, even tonight, is that he has hope and a purpose and a plan for your life, so much so that you can live out that hope, that plan, that purpose in your life because he wants to come and save you, redeem you, enable you to do more than you could ever think or imagine. He's the only one who's able to do that. He declared that he's the one, the only one, the way, the truth, and the life. He said it himself. He said, unless you come to me, follow me, unless you repent and believe. You can't w walk into all those purposes, but, but come with me because I've got these plans and purposes for you. So step this way and this is good news because it's exactly what you were designed for. It's exactly what I made you for. It's exactly why you're here. It fulfills that deep searching question of what's my purpose, what's my reason and why am I here? Jesus says, I can show it to you. I can walk you in it. I will come and meet with you and I will give you the hope so that you too can go out and proclaim this good news. The good news is that Jesus is for you, that he loves you. And it's not just for you. What does Jesus say? Proclaim good news for the poor. And he goes on to talk about the brokenhearted and the prisoners. He's, he's basically saying right there in the synagogue, he's saying, do you know what? This good news is not just for you who are sitting here, who have come to discover and learn. Some of you are already following Jesus. Some of you might be asking that question right now. Should I follow Jesus or not? And you've come to listen, but this is a good news message that needs to be told everywhere because it's for the poor, it's for the brokenhearted, it's for the prisoners, it's for the captives, it's for those that society would leave on the edge. It's for those that other people might forget. This isn't just for the academics that understand or the theologians that search the scriptures. This is for all people. And this was Jesus' manifesto. He was saying, don't hold this message, but now start giving this message. Breathe this message out to all. He said, I, I've come. I've come for the sick. I've come for those that, that, that know they need me. I've come for those that, that, that recognize that there is some sort of need in them and I am their hope, their purpose, and their reason. I am their way, their truth, and their life. It's me. Do you know when somebody gets hold of that, it's really good news. There's a guy who comes to our congregation on a regular basis who a few months ago wasn't following Jesus. He walked into one of the churches at HTB and sensed the fullness of the presence of God. He just immediately, he was not a Christian. In fact, he was following other gods. And he immediately sensed God's presence. And he's gone through a process of giving his life to Jesus, learning more, working stuff out. Last week, he got baptized. I'm not going to name him because I didn't check before, which I meant to do. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? 
Do you think it's good news for him that he's discovering the reason why he was made, the purpose for which he's living? Do you think that's good news? That's good news. That's good news. Do you know, even the rich can be poor, can't they? In fact, my experience is they can be the poorest. Caught up in the comfort and the trappings of the world. And so Jesus, I'm sure, was talking about literally reaching the poor with this good news, but there's a sense in which we need to reach all people with the good news. We need to reach all people, whether they're poor physically or financially, or whether they're poor spiritually. This is good news for them. Can I share some more good news with you? Is that okay? Here's some good news. Last week, a church that had been closed for over 60 years was opened. Many of you know Toby and Jill Flint. Toby was on the staff here for a number of years. Jill more latterly running our homeless shelter. And they sense God's call to go to Bristol. Why? Because Jesus is carrying hope. Because there are more people that need to hear this good news. There's, there's, there's more people that need to be proclaimed to, that to recognise who Jesus is. And so they followed this call to go to Bristol and to open this church that had been closed for 65 years. And do you know what? This is such good news that the media couldn't ignore it. That's been one of my prayers in my life. I've been praying that, that so much so the kingdom might break out that the media can't ignore it anymore. They have to start reporting it. And so there were journalists outside the church wanting to get in and actually lining up saying, we're going to come whether you invite us or not. And, and when Sarah Jackson, who heads up CRT, who helps support some of our church plants, that's an HTB church plant, if, if you hadn't cottoned on to that, um, uh, she, she arrived in Bristol for the opening of the, of the church to go and support them and just cheer them on. You know, nearly 400 people gathered last Sunday, their opening Sunday. It's amazing. It's life blooming. Can you imagine the stories in the city? It's, it's whispers, it's rumors of what's happening, just like it was with Jesus. And as she arrived, she said to the taxi driver, oh, can you take me to St. Nicholas Church? And the taxi driver said, oh, I'm really sorry, um, there isn't a St. Nicholas Church in Bristol. And she goes, oh, uh, how long have you been a taxi driver here? He said, I've been here 40 years. And she goes, oh, well, you won't know that because actually it closed over 60 years ago. But just to let you know, it's open today, so you need to know where it is. <laughs> and so she goes. And take a look at these pictures. Our very own John Finch, who was part of our team uh, here, right here at 6.30. If you've been around 6.30 for a while, you'll, you'll remember John. And we commissioned, we prayed, we in this service, we prayed for John. We blessed him. He's taken a team. A number of people have gone, including Lucy Ray, one of our youth pastors and stuff. People have gone to Southampton. And this is a church that was bombed in the Second World War. There it is, having a service after the bombing, after they cleared some of the rubble. And here it is last weekend. Over 420 people packed into that church to bring hope and life to that city. Someone got saved in that service, gave their life to Jesus for the first time. Somebody was healed during the worship. See, that's the manifesto of Jesus. Set people free to bring life. That's his manifesto. Isn't that exciting? Right there in Southampton. Now, this is happening today. And the biggest danger for us right now in hearing all this news and this manifesto of Jesus is that you might sit there and go, oh, that's really good. Great for Jesus. He can stand up there and say that he's been filled with the spirit of the sovereign Lord. Go, Jesus. Go on, Jesus. You go and proclaim good news to the poor. And it's all too easy for us to sit back in our comfort and ease. 
to be surrounded by the trappings of the world. And miss the most incredible, amazing thing. That this isn't just Jesus' manifesto, but this is your manifesto too. If you're in Christ, you're invited to walk around, pick up the scroll, walk into your workplace, walk, walk into your community, walk into your home and stand up and say, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. This is your call. This becomes your manifesto. This becomes your call. Jesus invites you in, not to remain in comfort and ease and hope that everyone else does something about it. But he says, do you know what? I want you to come. And as I declare this, I'm working such a way that as you repent and you believe and you follow me, so I will come to live in you. And if I live in you, my spirit will come to dwell in you. The spirit of the sovereign Lord, the same spirit that filled and empowered every act, every miracle, every salvation that Jesus outworked on earth is at work in you. And as he gave up his life and fell to the ground, his work multiplied. It burst up out of the grave in resurrection power in order that his spirit might fill each and every single one of you, that you too can join in the manifesto, that each and every one of you can play your part in the calling he has for you because part of his sovereign plan is to enjoy deep relationship with you and for you to be part of his manifesto of bringing all people to know him. That's his desire for you. And so, Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, you come fall afresh on us. Come and fill us, God, that we might bring about your discernment in government. That, God, you might empower us to bring new creative uh, expressions to this city and beyond. That, God, you might give us discernment in every decision. That, God, you might fill us with such a sense of your presence as we teach those children that they might come alive in you too. God, come fill us with your sovereign power so that we might declare your power at work in every business, in every media corporation. God, in every sphere of society, would you fill us with your presence that we might steward your presence in all that you're calling us to. Holy Spirit, would you come even now? Come, God. Don't allow us to sit back in comfort and ease, but call us to stand up. To proclaim the year of your favour, God. We declare a year of your favour over this city, God. We don't do that out of our striving. We don't do that out of our own gifts or talents or skills. We do that empowered by your spirit, called by you as sons and daughters.